0: Soundprint's Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound prince for the week of February 28, 2016. We're recording this week's Sound Prints from the ACB Mid-Year Meetings in Alexandria, Virginia. Shirley Stivers, Patty Cox, and Adam and Carla Rushville are attending the ACB Affiliate Presidents' Meeting on Sunday, February 28, and Patty and Shirley are participating in the Legislative Seminar on Monday, February 29. Patty and Shirley will also be visiting Capitol Hill on March 1, and will be sharing our legislative imperatives with Kentucky Congressmen and Senators. ACB's legislative imperatives this year include the signing of the Marrakesh Treaty bring more accessible books to blind people all over the world, the passage of the Cogswell-Macy Act to improve education for blind and deaf children, increased accessibility of the internet, and the passage of a bill to allow for the purchase of low vision devices by Medicare. The Kentucky Office for the Blind desperately needs our help. The amount of money currently included in the Governor's budget for the next two years for the Office for the Blind is not sufficient to allow OFB to provide rehabilitation services to blind Kentuckians. If more state dollars are not received, the Office for the Blind will be unable to draw down enough federal matching dollars to serve any new active cases in the state. This means that many Kentuckians who are blind or visually impaired will be unable to receive the services they need to learn new skills and obtain jobs. You can help regardless of where you live in Kentucky. If you can talk on the phone or send emails, you can help. Call KCB at 502-895-4598 to find out how you can be a part of our team and help the Office for the Blind. It's membership time in ACB. We cordially invite you to become a part of our ACB family. ACB and its affiliates and chapters support issues that touch all of us. We work hard to obtain talking prescription labels, accessible technology, improved rehabilitation services and expanded education for blind children. ACB publishes the Braille Forum and affiliates such as KCB publish newsletters. The Kentucky Council of the Blind brings you sound prints every week and a quarterly newsletter. Chapters hold in-person meetings, conference calls, and social events. State affiliates, such as the Kentucky Council of the Blind, hold annual conferences and conventions, and the ACB National Convention is a grand week-long event. ACB Radio brings you a wide range of programs and events, all as close as your computer or telephone. KCB dues are $8 for a one-year membership or $40 for a lifetime membership. Our one-year membership is less than the cost of a pizza. Dues for the Library Users of America are $12 a year, and you can join ACB Lions for $15 a year. There are many other special interest groups as well. Joining is easy. Just make your check payable to KCB, the Library Users of America, or the American Council of Blind Lions, and mail to 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206, or pay by credit card. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 for details. When you think of Kentucky, you probably conjure up visions of plates of fried chicken, sunny days at the horse races, and bidding on those Maker's Mark bourbon balls in the ACB Radio Holiday Auction. You more than likely don't realize that Kentucky has 120 counties, more than any other state in the union, and that each of those counties has a county court clerk, elected to that office in a general election every four years. David Nicholson is the county court clerk for Jefferson County, where Louisville is located, and he explains the role of the county court clerk at the February 9 meeting of the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. His talk was very interesting, and we share parts of it with you on page two. Games can be relaxing, addicting, and educational. There are all kinds of games. Card games, role-playing games, adventure games, word games, trivia games, games of chance, games that require a lot of skill, and games that require almost no skill at all. There are board games, dice games, single player games, and games that can be played by two, four, six, eight, or unlimited number of players. Here on SoundPrints, we've brought you features on several game apps for the iPhone, including Dice World, Trivia and Kingdoms, and many others. This week, we talk with Marty Schultz, creator of the Blindfold games for the iPhone, and we discover over 20 games designed to be played without vision using standard iPhone gestures. Marty, who is sighted, shares his story of how he became involved with creating the games for blind people. He introduces a wide range of blindfold games, including card games, word games, racing games, and even an audio version of the popular Candy Crush. Have fun meeting Marty on page 3. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two.
1: Well, I uh, am very appreciative and, and uh, welcome this opportunity to come before you this evening and share with you a little bit about the Office of the Circuit Court Clerk. And How many of you are familiar with the Office of the Circuit Court Clerk? we got, got a little drive. bit. What about uh, boat tags? We get boat tags at the circuit clerk's office, ago. huh? <laughs> I had one a long time ago. Well, those years are up. I was, uh, when, when I took over in 2007, uh, I would stand before organizations and I would say, I'm the circuit court clerk. And they would say, Oh, judge, it's good to have you out tonight. <laughs> oh you know, judge, because they'd hear circuit or court. Or they would hear clerk. Well, now, she's a nice lady. What are you going <laughs> to take her picture down, though? I was just there, and you... So I realized they were talking about the county clerk, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she is. Our county clerk is a lovely lady, and we work very well together. Um... But there always is that, that, that confusion. Mm-hmm. So finally, I had to uh, turn to my, as you notice, they're on my right hand. <laughs> you know, I had turned to my experts and I said, you know, people don't know what our office does. And they, you know. So we came up with new tagline is, I'm the CEO of an entity here in Louisville, Kentucky. It has 329 dedicated employees and we take in forty four million dollars in revenue wow. so now I had their attention <laughs> that is what the office circuit court, court does is I like to tell our new employees when we onboard our employees and that's the area in which Steve works in is we do important work in that office because we are two constitutional duties and responsibilities Number one, we're the custodian of all court records. All court records. And we issue the Kentucky driver's license or personal ID card. That is an awesome responsibility because, as custodian of those court records, we're responsible that we cannot take away somebody's liberties that the courts have not judged. Should, should be taken, nor do we want to mistakenly release someone that the courts have deemed are a threat to our community. And certainly in the issuance of the driver's license personal ID card, we have to know, to the best of our abilities, uh, utilization of technologies, that John Smith or Mary Smith is, in fact, who they are when they're standing before our clerks. We operate on our court side of the business uh, in downtown Louisville. There, at Sixth and Jefferson, and Seventh and Jefferson, in what is known as the Hall of Justice, that houses our district courts, and then the Judicial Center at Seventh and Jefferson, that houses our family courts and our uh, circuit courts. In the Hall of Justice, our district courts. That is where the average majority. Of our citizens, probably interact. Uh, either building, it's never a pleasant time to have to come to the courthouse uh, there. Uh, but in the Hall of Justice, uh, we have 17 district judges. And uh, on average, we do over 175,000 new cases a year in district court. Approximately 150 deputy clerks. We are there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, Those courts handle anything from a probate where individuals have to come, probate a will of a loved one, name change, uh, civil court, small claims, the the people's court uh, where you come in, uh, small claims, $2,500 or less or civil matters, $5,000 or less. Uh, and then, of course, our good old traffic court uh, <laughs> uh, is, is there, as well as our felony misdemeanor courts uh, are all in that, that hall of justice. Uh, we run 10 criminal courts each and every day, uh, morning at 9 a.m. and afternoon, three out of the five days uh, at 1 p.m. Uh, then we have our civil courts uh, that run every day, uh, and one of those courts, our mental inquest court, uh, is out in the community on Wednesdays from uh, Norton's downtown all the way to uh, Central State Hospital out in the, in the uh, Anchorage area, um, and then the other uh, mental health facilities. Uh, so they're out in, in the community. We send our deputy clerks Out in the community uh, if there's a a senior citizen uh, Mm -hmm. elder abuse uh, and the individual can't get to the courthouse uh, we will team up uh, with other justice partners and go out and and process uh, the paperwork uh, that's needed uh, to bring about an action if they're seeking seeking that action Uh, so that's that's the district court side the most active side uh, the most uh, area in which citizens do come in contact either, uh, unfortunately, as a victim, a witness, or certainly a defendant. Uh, and we have to represent all, all of those interests. Uh, over in our judicial center, uh, family court is just that. There are 10 family court judges, uh, about 55 employees uh, in that area, um, and that's your divorce uh, uh, adoptions, terminations, uh, matters that, that go before those ten judges, um, and they they deal, you know, some of the most challenging uh, type of cases. Uh, obviously, when you involve children and family units, uh, that's, that's, that's very challenging uh, work in, in that environment. And then our uh, thirteen circuit courts. Uh, 13 circuit judges about 60 employees uh in that area Uh, and excuse me the family court has about 14,000 new cases a year circuit court has about 14,000 new cases a year most serious of the serious uh complicated medical malpractice uh civil matters, real estate transactions, business transactions, uh, to the felony, armed robbery, capital murder. Uh, two years ago, we had six capital murder trials here in the community. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, just just other felony type prosecutions uh, that take place in, in our circuit court. In downtown Louisville, uh, we operate out of those two buildings. We also operate out of the old jail building, uh, is our archives division. And in those three complexes alone, there are some 3 million court records. Hmm. Uh, because I told you, we have about 14,000 new circuit cases, family cases, and about 175,000 new district cases. Well. We also got a lot of old cases that are still active and, and going on too. So, uh, as a custodian of the court records, uh, I never was formally trained to be a, a librarian to be to be a custodian. But uh, uh, we are very—I'm extremely proud of the work uh, that the men and women do in those in those three buildings in the heart of downtown Louisville. Uh, the other half. Now, we issue a driver's license. Uh, we do that with 33 uh, team members. Uh, I refer to them as employees, which is foreign language to these two because I never do that. I, we are a team. Uh, 33 team members uh, in six locations uh, from uh, the far east in Middletown to the far south uh, on Dixie Highway uh, to west Louisville to uh Highview and our our downtown uh, branch uh, there in the old jail building. Uh, Only about a quarter of a million transactions a year is what we do in those six branches with 33 team members. Uh, Motorcycle license, driver's license, personal ID, cards. I always like to hear, hear a positive story, which over dinner... A uh, gentleman had the opportunity to, to visit one of our branches today and he observed uh, that we were asking uh, just, we just asked one simple question, you know, we just want you to say yes uh, to register uh, to be on the organ and, and tissue uh, registry. So, uh, what got me to the, the, the clerk's office, as, as you heard, uh, there, uh, I am a native Uh I love Louisville. Uh, I've only left it a couple of times uh, to attend college and attend law school. Uh, but I've always enjoyed uh, people. Uh, I've always excelled. Uh, I'm very strong in, in collaboration, um, openness, transparency. Uh, now those may be the new buzzwords in the last five years we need to be more transparent uh you know more more open we need to get you know people to collaborate uh, but that is the way that i've, I've been successful uh, over the years uh, when i came back to louisville from law school um, shortly uh, upon returning i was asked uh, by then uh, county judge executive dave armstrong uh, could I lobby and work in Frankfurt and help secure funding for a new judicial center, uh, which we did in, in downtown? And then that led working with the judges, uh, which ultimately uh, the Crime Commission, or today it's known as the Criminal Justice Commission, uh, was a commission of 32 uh, individuals, 26 uh, by virtue of their office. It had every major player in this community, including, which is highly unusual uh, for communities, including six of the federal agencies, the special agent in charge of FBI, ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco uh, Bureau, uh, and Firearms, uh, sitting around table just, just like this. And this was long before uh, 9-11. And has always positioned our community uh, to have good collaboration uh, and good working relationships among uh, our first responders and, and our federal agencies. Um, and I ultimately was asked, asked uh, was appointed their executive director. And, and, and very unfortunate that uh, right right after, within two years of that appointment, that, that, that 9/11. Uh, did occur but because we have been and we are uh, the oldest uh, continuous and operation criminal justice planning coordinating council which now they're popping up you know they're they're realizing the importance that they can play in addressing criminal justice issues Uh, we were positioned very well in this community to seek uh, the homeland security and and we went after uh, some Homeland Security funding that uh, brought $45 million uh, to this community in, in aspects that you don't really see. You don't realize that uh, from West Point to Westport along the river, uh, that's under constant surveillance. Uh, you don't see uh, the security features. Uh, at Churchill Downs, at then uh, the, the fairgrounds, uh, all these uh, high public uh, venues. Uh, if you're out in the Crescent Hill area, uh, you may have thought, well, my water rates go up, and here they put that beautiful uh, fence all around there, they just are wasting taxpayers' money. No, that was Homeland Security uh, monies. Uh, to protect uh, that 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 facility, uh, and there's a lot of those around that that, that we were involved in uh, to make Louisville a safer uh, a home and, and and a place to raise raise families. So that's a little bit of, of about the past. Uh, what's important? Uh, I know that it's all important, but uh, knowing I was coming out this evening. Uh, I um, had emailed, uh, uh, not supposed to do that while you're driving, but I had texted <laughs> and uh, so I got, got, got an email. Uh, many uh, Any of you know Shelly Snyder, the executive director of the Trust for Life? Uh, she spoke at our club. It's been quite a while ago that she did speak to us. Yeah. You're not Joe, are you? joe belay maybe. joe belay yeah, yeah that no, was
2: our past president, our president. yeah
1: well she uh she, she emails me back and, and she says well wonderful in which line club are you speaking we and it's all it's all caps love the word love the Lions clubs i've spoken to several around the state including some here in louisville the one i remember clear It's the one located at (laughs) Vips. And and Joe, how you Joe Belay, Is a member there. Joe is head of the University of Louisville Lions I-Bank. We work hand-in-hand with I-Bank in their quest to educate more Kentuckians about donation to save sight through the cornea donation. And then my neighbor, and he is literally two houses down, I know Paul Flynn, CODA CEO, has been heavily involved with the Lions for many years. The Lions were, and again, all caps, first, to encourage donation, as their focus has been on saving sight since before organ donation even existed. They are very passionate about their mission, and it's great that you will drop by and visit with them this evening. I, I say that because to go back to my Cozier charities, uh, is when I was asked, you know, and I didn't know anything about Trust for Life. Trust for Life was started uh, from a former circuit clerk uh, who uh, lost a, a loved one waiting for a heart transplant. And when he saw uh, the widow and the little children, uh, you know he he thought we there's something i can do there's something and and he did go and with another group of clerks and and uh, lobbied uh, the general assembly uh, to to get the trust for life uh, and to where we would ask the questions and uh, i i that reason i brought that and i normally wouldn't read some but you know when you but it's in all caps, love, first, <laughs> You know, I thought, well, I, I, I have to share that because we are very passionate about our mission uh, with the Trust for Life, and I'm not going to read the, the, the figures there to you. Uh, it's just simply we've made tremendous headway in the last uh, seven, eight years uh, by working with the Cosair Charities to come in and evaluate and look at uh, that organization. Uh, They interviewed, uh, they recommended uh, three names uh, and I served on that and uh, we could not be happier uh, that that Miss Shelley uh, took the job, uh, has stayed with us. Uh, She is quite uh, uh, passionate Uh, and does travel the state Uh, we are in all 120 counties obviously there are 120 circuit court clerks we're in every county Uh, and we've really broken down a lot of the barriers you know about even even in our our bible belt areas of the of the commonwealth uh, and age and, and sickness and uh, we, we we try to target as I look at some of these pictures, uh, particularly here. Uh, you will begin to see this type of uh, pictures in the driver's license branches, probably as early as two weeks, is that what I think they reported today, of, uh, uh, of, of residents and Kentuckians that, that you can relate to, and, and, you know, that that have overcome uh, and and have been. Uh, uh, Fortunate to, that somebody before them said yes. Um, and uh, the, the stories really do bring tears uh, to your eyes. Uh, and I don't care if it's a little rally, uh, two years of age waiting uh, to get that heart transplant to cut the, the heart transplant. That today, when you see his picture, uh, you know, and see him running and, and is just as, as normal as any five year old should be. Uh, to Megan that's here um, you know on on your uh, card um, and I can only assure you uh, that uh, all 120 clerks are committed to this mission uh, while we have our constitutional duties this is something that each and every one of us wanted to give back uh, to our commonwealth and you know now we really are saying you know back Back to our home, our communities, because in every county, uh, there, there's a need in each and every county, and it covers all all spectrum. So, um, I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear tonight. Okay, well, I sincerely appreciate you giving me the opportunity, so thank you again for having me. Thank you.
0: Page three. I'm speaking with Marty Schultz, he's from blindfoldgames.org and many of you that have iPhones will have some of the blindfold games on on your iPhone and I'm sure play them quite a bit, but there's so many and there's such a, a, an interesting background to all these games that we thought it'd be great to have Marty as a guest on Soundprint. So welcome Marty. Well thanks for inviting me. Marty, tell us about how you got into blindfold games. You're not a blind person, and um, I don't think you ever met a blind person before you started working on games for blind people. So tell us how this happened.
3: That's right. I kind of stumbled into this. I had When my daughter was about 11 years old, I saw her working on um, a list for her birthday, and every day she'd have a new birthday wish list, and it would be over and over again. I said, there should be an app for that. So I thought I could either create an app like that and then have some friends be kind of a focus group or I could actually design the app with a bunch of kids from her school and teach the kids a little about the STEM curriculum and how apps are built. So I contacted the head of school where she was going, and we organized an after-school club for about six weeks, three days a week for an hour. And over the course of uh, the six weeks, myself and about uh, 25 kids that were anywhere from fifth grade through eighth grade designed the app. It was called Wish to List, and while it wasn't necessarily a hit, the kids learned a lot about what it takes to build an app, and then the head of school invited me back to teach the club again, and also to teach uh, some programming to the middle school kids. So in the second semester, I asked the kids what they wanted to build this time, and they said a game. I said, well, if we are going to build a game, let's make it a really different game, and they went off, and about two weeks later, they came back, and every game idea they had was similar to every other game in the App Store, (laughs) so I said, well... I don't want to do what everybody else has done, and I also don't want to have to hire a graphic artist because they can be expensive. So right. why don't we do something with just a blank screen? Let's make a driving game for blind people where they drive with their ears instead of their eyes. And the idea of the game would be if you get too close to the left or the right side of the road, the, the music, in either your left or right ear, would get much louder. Mm-hmm. We, the kids and I worked on this game for about six months or so, putting more and more obstacles into the road and prizes, And it was a pretty fun game, but we hadn't shown to any blind people yet, because I was kind of nervous about that and how they would (laughs) review it. I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So, fortunately, somebody there knew somebody over at the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind. I contacted the woman there, and she arranged a Saturday afternoon where a bunch of the teen gamers would come in and check out the game. And I staged about 12 different iPads with the game, and they played it all afternoon, and they absolutely loved it. They had wonderful suggestions. It was one sixteen-year-old girl there that's been blind since birth and she said she just can't wait to play her sighted of friends because she'll so beat their butts <laughs> and she was really good at the game and then I, uh, there was another boy there that uh, asked me if the screen was dark i guess he could te- detect shades of light i wasn't too sure and i said yes the screen is always blank because this, you play this with your ears not your eyes and he said well Excited people think their iPads are broken, so you better put something on the screen. And we did, and we took a lot of their other suggestions and implemented it. And then when I finally released in the App Store back in February of 2014, some of the people on Apple's discovered it. I didn't even know about Apple's at the time. And it, jumped, it was picked as, like, the best app of the month back in February or March, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Then from there, kind of, um, I've been building one game after another. I remember... I go back and forth to Boston a lot, and a person from the Carroll School for the Blind contacted me, saying, the next time I'm in Boston, can I visit him? So I said, fine. Two days before that meeting, he says, well, I'll be home that day, but I have some people coming over. You can meet all of us. They were up the prior night, all hours of the night, playing Blindfold Racer, and when I got to meet them at their house the next day, I met Judy Dixon, who runs the talking book program for the Library of Congress. I met Kim Charlson, who was Brian's uh, wife, who was the president of the ACB, and um, Doug Wakefield, who's been very active in um, accessibility issues over the past 30 years. Doug's retired now. And at that meeting, I, I think I hung out with them for about four hours. They told me what was important in a game that's for visually impaired people. It has to have a lot of physicality. It has to have a very good soundscape. And I took all that information and it kind of stayed in the back of my mind as I built more apps. And out of that meeting, Judy asked me to put together a Sudoku on a nine-by-nine board.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And Doug asked me to do a cryptogram game, and I did both of those. And then a few weeks later, I met Joan Becker from the Perkins School, and she had just gotten back from a trip in Las Vegas. And she was playing blackjack for the first time in her life, and she said, can you make a blackjack game? And and from that, just kind of launched three more games, and then I did a a video poker game after that, and then I had a lot of requests to do uh, Crazy Eights and Uno, so I did those card games, and then Hearts and Spades, and I think Judy asked me to do a solitaire game, and I did that, and then I started doing uh, some what I call movement games where I wanted to do a game that was similar to Angry Birds because Angry Birds was really popular at the time, and I couldn't come up with a good audio equivalent to that, so, I ended up coming up with an audio version of the old video game called Frogger and called it Hopper, and that was very successful. Then I did Pong, and then I did Breakout and a few other games like that. Ah, uh, what else have I done? Then I uh, did some more card games, I did some more casino games like uh, Roulette and Craps, and um, most recently I just came out with Bingo um, about a year, about a half a year or so ago. I was working with a couple of people who were on the Blind Bowling League, and they and I collaborated to come out with Blindfold Bowling. And I think actually the bowling game is now the most popular of all the games that I have done so far. Oh, really? So, yeah, it has, I think, Blindfold Racer itself, between sighted and uh, the blindness community, probably had about 7,000 people look at it, but a lot of those people sighted. I think the bowling game had about 2,500 downloads.
0: Oh, my goodness.
3: Yeah. There are about 25,000 people in the United States who own iPhones or iPads and um, are, are visually impaired. Mm-hmm. So I'm only kind of scratching the surface of the people who know the games, but still it's fun. And I have a, a great group of testers that I work with over the past two years. About 50 to 75 people have volunteered to be testers. And every time I come out with a new game, I first run the idea by them. They tell me what's good about it, what's bad about it, what has to happen there. And then over the series, over the course of about uh, three to six weeks, the game starts taking shape, and I take all their uh, suggestions very seriously. And by the time it's done, it's a great collaborative effort. The, the game that's just about to come out now, I'm actually doing two of them. Shuffleboard will be out soon. It's like the seventh or eighth kind of movement game I've done. And then we're just finishing up a, a variant of Wheel of Fortune.
0: Now, talk to us about—I mean, games are—they're fun, but there can be a real positive side to playing games. Um, many years ago, when oh, even before the uh, IBM DOS was around, back in the old Apple days. Oh. Um, uh, I started teaching technology, and people people were you know they they sort of had a. Had a, a phobia about they. They had this idea that the computer was somehow going to reach out and and beat them up or something, you know. And uh, so sometimes when they were real, real reluctant to try doing word processing or whatever, I, I just put them on to, to doing a game. And of course, the games were very simple in those days, and you didn't have too much to choose from. But still, it helped to break the ice, and it helped people to get over that fear, and it also helped them to realize that it could be fun. And so today, that same kind of thing can apply. Games can be educational as well as um, just just fun to do, and um you know, that it can be a way, I think, to get people over that um, sort of reluctance sometimes to try the iPhone. Um, I have people who call me up and they say, what's a, uh, you know, I'm just losing my vision. And what is a good accessible phone for me? And I said, well, what kind of phone do you have now? Well, I've got an iPhone. I said, well, you've got the best thing you could have. Let's just turn the speech on and turn the sounds on so that it becomes accessible. Well, they have no clue that all that is there. So talk to, to us a little bit about how games can really be um, helpful to blind people and maybe to people with other disabilities as well.
3: Sure. Well, one thing I have to um, credit Apple on is they've done an excellent job in making the phones accessible. Oh, you are kidding. Yeah, and absolutely. Voice, um, Rail displays and even switches when people have um, more disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but every one of the games actually you builds to gestures to make the gameplay play natural. So if you're uh, like spinning the wheel in the Wheel of Fortune, you're swiping two things down on the screen the same way you would spin like a, a dial or something like that. Or if you want to move right or left or up or down when you're looking at your cards in Solitaire, it's all very simple gestures and the nice thing that I've heard time and time about the games is they just feel right. A lot of games that have accessibility bolted onto the game
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, as an afterthought, they're, while they're okay to play, they're not designed as a rapid audio game, whereas all the games I've built are rapid audio games, and every gesture just matched naturally to the game. I did a game that indie crush but i did an audio version of it and when you do it the, there are different gestures that just match exactly to the way you would expect the game to, to proceed so you can investigate all the little cells around the the, all the different squares around the square you're in so you can match three colors in a row or three gems in a row you can actually in this game you can actually set the game be whatever kind of pack um set of things you want i just did a star wars pack and a jetsons pack based on somebody's suggestions on a harry potter pack this morning based on the conversation I had yesterday. But the interesting thing about all these games is as you start playing the game, you become more and more adept at the types of gestures that the phone requires to be used as an effective tool, as well as uh, with some of these games being more attuned to the audio environment. The, gesture, the Pong game is interesting because it has a lot of physicality and an interesting sound environment. So the way Pong works is you hear a ball coming from either the left or the right, and then you have to move your your hand left or right until you can get the sound centered in this, in your head, equally between both ears. When you do that, then the ball will hit the paddle, you'll, and you'll hear it bounce off the paddle, bounce around a, a little in the environment, and then start heading back towards you. It gets louder and louder, and see the coming in from the right mm-hmm. or the left. So again, you move your arm, or if you're sitting in a, a, um, a moving chair, you move your entire body to the left or right, so the sound again is in the center of your head, and that bounces, and you keep playing that as you get higher and higher levels. And, you know, with each level, the ball gets a little faster, or I throw in an extra ball, but it, it's really improving your response and your trust of the environment to be able to play the game effectively. In another game, which is called Blindfold Barnyard, you have to find animals in the barnyard and then move them, hitch them to a fence and then move them from the fence to the barn. Mm-hmm. And the way you locate the animals is you put, you put your finger anywhere on the screen, and then the the game will tell you there's a cow to the northeast or there is a sheep at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. You move your finger in that direction until you find the sheep, and then once you find the sheep, the sheep will stop buying ba ba ba, and then you <laughs> drag it to the east fence, and you keep dragging more and more sheep to that fence, and then you eventually move the sheep. Um, from the fence into the barn and then you score points and,
2: what happens people,
0: if you put a if you drag a cow to the fence where the sheep is? Then all then the cow and all the sheep
3: run away. Oh.
0: And you have to start all over again.
3: Well you have to start you basically you have to look for new animals. So and and new animals pop up in the barnyard anywhere from every one second to every fifteen seconds, depending on how fast you want the game to be played. Oh. And you score more and more points the more animals you move into the barn. So there are some people there that have scored up in the high... I think the high score I've heard about was about 1,700. And this is in the three-minute game, and he's just going... Uh, as fast as the animals pop up, he can move them into the right fence. Mm-hmm. The trick to the game is both remembering what animals you've stored on each of the fences so you don't move an animal there accidentally. Yes. And now they want even more complex versions of it where maybe they'll have, like, a holding pen in the middle of the barn so they can put some animals into the holding pen. Oh my goodness. In the bowling game... Um, you hear, it feels like you're actually in a a bowling alley, which is you hear um, the bowling that's going on in the other lanes when it's your turn. Mm -hmm. Um, You can throw the ball in a variety of different ways by flicking your finger or using your finger and your thumb together to first position the angle, and then you flick your finger, and that sends the ball, and you hear the ball rolling down the alley. You hear it hit the pins, and then it'll tell you how many pins... Uh, you were successful in, in knocking over, and then you, you basically play a full game of uh, 10 frames. And you can either play against a computer opponent or by yourself, or you can pass the phone back and forth between you and somebody else uh, that you're playing with.
0: Now, are you working on some multiplayer games where people can maybe link up with friends and play?
3: Yeah, that's some technologies that I'm working on. Apple provides a way to do that. I've been modifying um, the Crazy 8 and the Uno games to be able to handle that, and that's kind of still in testing. But once mm-hmm. that's done, I'll start moving that through all the games, and you'll be able to play as a multiplayer game in two different ways. One is with somebody else somewhere in the world using Apple's Game Center. It's very easy to use. Mm-hmm. Or if there are two people in the same room, the phones can actually figure out that they're
0: next to each other, and you can play that way. That would be great that be then I can think of some great possibilities for that. So, how many games? How how often do you bring out new games?
3: Uh, roughly every two weeks, I have another game. I think there are about thirty-three games right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I tend to look for is what games were very successful in the sighted world, or just very well known. And then, the, is there a good computer equivalent that you could, a good audio equivalent that I could do, to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't, for example, as I started out saying earlier, the two games, Angry Birds and Flappy Birds, were both really addicting for sighted people to play, but I couldn't come up with a good equivalent for that. But Candy Crush, which is also probably the one of the most popular games ever created,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, I was able to come up with an audio equivalent, and, and people said it's absolutely a wonderful game, and they just, love, they just waste hours and hours playing these games.
0: Yes, and, and it's great to have an equivalent of something, you know, a game similar to something that's so popular out there. I mean, it, you know, it, it would be how many times do you um, when in playing one game see an ad for another game like Candy Crush or something and you think, you know, I sure would like to be able to play that like everybody else. And even though the blindfold equivalent isn't Candy Crush itself, it, it would, you know, it'd be so similar. Uh, it's the same concept. And so, you know you you are participating in what is kind of the in thing out there
3: yeah g- gaming is just so, so popular i've heard from so many visually impaired people that told me up until they saw my games that they had no idea the iphone could be so much fun <laughs> and you know whether they're taking a long car trip or right. just hanging out at home or whatever the, the fact that they can spend the time the way everybody else mm-hmm. is spending the time playing a game that they really mm-hmm. like maybe it's a game from their youth that they used to play like shuffleboard that's coming out. Mm-hmm. or I can't wait is. for that
0: one. I I love to play shuffleboard when I was then, you know when I was a, a teenager and yeah. I wasn't any good at it but it was fun to play.
3: Do you, did you when you were younger did you ever play skee ball at the arcade where you, you have those wooden balls and you roll it up a ramp and then lands in. Um, these different concentric circles, and you get tickets come out of the machine. That yeah, the all?
0: I, I couldn't see well enough to to tell what they were actually doing, but I would roll the ball, <laughs> and uh, like I said, wasn't, I wasn't very good at. It. Now, um, I bowled uh, for mm-hmm. several years in one in a in a league, you know, in, as part of the American Blind Bowling Association, and so the bowling game, you know, will be will be fun.
3: Yeah, well, the, the I heard when. I was talking to some of the testers. I said, you know, I'll probably do this skee-ball game before I do bowling because it mm-hmm. looks a little easier. It actually, it was harder mm-hmm. to do than bowling. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them had played skee-ball and gave me the same impression that you gave me, which is they like the noise, they like the tickets, they like the action. Right. So I created a game just like that called V-Ball,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it's kind of like a two-dimensional version of this, but it's the same experience where you toss the ball up and you try to get it to land in in one of the areas on the screen to, call it, to get the most number of points. And,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, the other thing i heard that a lot of people wanted was a pinball machine. So Actually, that's the one that I'm starting on right now. Is, is
2: oh, pinball. now that
0: will be fun. Yeah. Yes, that would be fun. Because even if, you know, for kids that maybe couldn't see all of the things in the pinball machines, you know, many years ago they had the little toy pinball, little flat kind of pinball machines. I don't yeah, know if they yeah. still had those or not. but you know, I had one as a child, and, and I loved the sound. It didn't matter if I couldn't tell what was like exactly in there. Yeah. <clears throat> I just loved the sound of shooting the ball and having it go around, and you know it was neat. So
3: yeah. it's it's fun because even in the skee ball game, when you play skee ball, you first put in your coin, and then you hear the balls roll, the, the nine wooden balls roll down a ramp. Mm-hmm. And I found that about like five variants of that. Little audio clips. So as you play, you hear the balls rolling down, and then when you fire up the ball, you hear the ball rolling up and then plopping on somewhere on the mm-hmm. uh, the playing field. So. Mm-hmm. It's really e- it's really easy to create a very good virtual environment of sound, so it feels like you're playing the real game.
0: Have you had um, any feedback from people that work with um, people with other disabilities, such as maybe you know kids with autism or something like that? Is there a Th-
3: that's interesting that you should bring that up because when I first created Blindfold Racer, mm-hmm. um, I was talking to an audio therapist who thought that. This would be a really good game to teach autistic kids to help balance their auditory systems with their visual systems because with a lot of autism kids, their visual is just overriding their auditory, and they're not paying attention to what people are saying. Hmm. And we can use that game to kind of force them to become more trusting of the audio system and and kind
0: of achieve a balance there. To help them... to, to, to key into that system. Exactly. hmm hmm Well, this is just all really, really fascinating, and um, I have downloaded a few of the games. I played them a little bit over the past. Which games did you play? Um, I had downloaded the, I think it was a, a blackjack game. Um, okay. There was one... Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure. I think it was the r- Blindfold Racer where uh, you're walking down the road and, I don't know, sometimes there's a chicken in the middle of the road. Yeah, that
3: was the very first game that's Blindfold Racer. I'm actually coming out with a new version of that within the next month or so.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
3: right now Blindfold Racer has about 35 or 40 levels. and We just added another 25 levels to it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I never got harder. out of the first
0: level, Marty. I better get, to, <laughs> I better get busy. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm really I'm, – Really appreciate you taking time and talking to us about it. And as new games come out, maybe every couple of months we could chat about the new games that are out there. Because I, sure, I think understand. it will really broaden the horizon of people who are just getting into the um, iPhone as well as people that have been you know, gamers on iPhone for a long time.
3: I mean, one thing about my games is they appeal to everybody Mm because I have games, no matter what you want. So I'm not looking to people who think they're gamers and they Mm -hmm. like all these role-playing games, but even cards or things like that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm anxious um, to try
0: the the Hearts and the Spades games because um, I enjoy playing both of those games. So I I think that'll be fun. Um, So now the games are all – we can find all the games in the App Store by going in. And I did a search – uh, in the App Store and just entered Blindfold in the um, in the um, uh, search box. And up came all of these games. And uh, so, you know, they're very easy to find, and you just download away. You know, have all these new games. And um, I, I'm assuming that they will all be called Blindfold, something whether you're not going to change that name.
3: That's right. I'm, I'm keeping with that brand. The other thing people mm-hmm. can do if they wanted to visit... Uh, my blog, which is blindfoldgames.org, which lists all the games there. Mm-hmm. If they sign up for the blog, they'll get it, like, an email once a week where I tell, sometimes I'll announce a new game I'm building, or a lot of times I'll just simply say what it takes to make a game and kind of what the technical trade-offs were and how I put it together and what kind of ideas the testers came up with. So okay. it's a lot of kind of like behind-the-scenes view of how a game is built.
0: Right. So visit blindfoldgames.org. To, um, to get onto the email list w- through the blog and go to the search box in the App Store and look for the Blindfold Games. You'll find all kinds of great things there. Thank you so much, Marty.
3: Oh, sure thing. And if anyone has any ideas for a new game, they can just drop me an email at marty at blindfoldgames.org. Thank
0: you. Well, thanks a lot. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. On March 2, the KCBPR Membership Committee will hold its meeting at 8 p.m. by phone at 605-475-6006, code 294444. March 3 is the next meeting of ACB Lions, monthly meeting for blind lions from throughout the country. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code seven nine six zero nine six. The call is at 9 Eastern. On March 4, the GLCB Roundabout will have Braille and Tech Tips from 3.30 to 5, a presentation on the Civil War in Jefferson County, a look back in time from 5 to 6 p.m., dinner from 6 to 7, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. On March 6, the Greater Louisville Council will be holding its committee meetings. The Advocacy Committee meets at 7 the Education Technology Committee at 8, and the Activities Committee at 9, all on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On March 8, the Bluegrass Council quarterly meeting will be from 12 to 2 p.m. The program is being presented by Vanda Pharmaceuticals. The meeting will be at the BCB office on South Broadway in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information. Also on March eight, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy will hold its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. It will be at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, and the presentation is on emergency preparedness. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485. On March 10, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern by phone. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155619. March 11 is a GLCB roundabout with Braille and Tech Tips from 3.30 to 5, a discussion topic which will be Eating Healthy with Diabetes from 5 to 6 p.m. Dinner, $5 a person from 6 to 7, and Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On March 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. by phone 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 13 is the KCB Next Generation meeting by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern at 605-475-6006, code 294444. On March 15, the Tri-State Library users will have its in-person dinner meeting in Louisville. The time, place, and topic are to be announced. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.